All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. How's it going? I don't know what's going on. Well, I, I probably know what's going on, but I did not am not reacting to it directly because I recorded this a few days ago before I left for a vacation. So this is uh, this might be, I mean, at least a little emotionally dated. I have no idea what's happened uh, in the last few days. Or I'm, oh, that's not true. I, again, I, I probably have an idea, but I'm not reacting to it either emotionally or literally, because if I was, I would be able to see the future. And generally, when I think I see the future, it's not good. Well, so maybe I could speculate then. Maybe I uh, I could uh, possibly paint a picture from my imagination that might sync right up with what happened since I recorded this on Saturday, last Saturday. But I'm not going to do that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say... What am I going to say? Like, I'm, I hope I'm having a good time. Well, you know what? Why not be optimistic? I'm having a great time. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pretend like it. You know, uh, fuck, another week. Oh, God. I don't know how we're going to get through this shit. What a fucking... Wow. Just try to keep your... I don't know, man. It's just, it's weird when everything you do that is your life and that might bring you some enjoyment just feels like... You're uh, holding off the inevitable or avoiding something that requires uh, immediate and uh, horrifying attention. That's not that's not good. Wait, let's just stick with, uh, I, you know, I, I'm 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 on vacation. I'm, I'm having a nice time as nice as I can. I hadn't had a vacation. I haven't had a vacation in a long time. So uh, I'm trying it out, I'm trying to get my head straight, trying to breathe some air, look at some pretty uh sleep some sleep write some things down fortify my heart and mind that kind of stuff okay all right so i don't know what's happened i'm again i'm sorry i'm not responding to what's happened in the last few days because i i recorded this a while ago so i could go on vacation without recording out there I forgot to mention who's on the show, what's happening. There's uh, several guests, actually, on the show today. It's funny, when I read the Blue Apron copy, it reminds me of my character in the Mitch Hedberg movie, Los Enchiladas, that apparently is not available anywhere to anyone. But I think you can probably see it somewhere. It's got to be out there. I played the uh, the menu writer, I and it just it's a little close. It's a little close when I read the uh, Blue Apron uh, uh, copy there. It reminds me of that character. That's a long, a long time ago, making Mitch Hedberg's movie. I got that l- lovely box set recently of the Hedberg stuff on vinyl. It's great. Today, on the show, a couple of guests. Uh, right now, I'm going to have uh, John Hodgman and Jesse Thorne. Uh, they are part of the Very, Very Funny Day, a one-day podcasting festival in Chicago on Saturday, February 11th, with live performances of Judge John Hodgman, Jordan Jesse Go, the Flop House, Stop Podcasting Yourself, and more. You can go to MaximumFun.org for tickets. And after John and Jesse, I talked to uh, the aggravated Joe DeRosa, comedian I've known for a few years. I've never just had the, the time to get him in here. It was good to talk to Joe. I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits. So that's a pretty loaded show for a vacation week. Let's, uh, let's go now. 
Uh, this is me talking to John Hodgman and Jesse Thorne here in the garage. You would think I would have gotten a new situation, fellas, right, Jesse? I mean, you helped me set up. You helped me set up this situation. <laughs> Almost it's a nice. It's a nice situation, though. We're it's in a nice situation. We're ensconced, particularly when the weather's cool. We're yeah. ensconced in your piles and piles of books. Right, but like you know, I, I think about it myself sometimes. So I, I'm like. Um, do I have to have that that headphone amp just dangling off the side of another piece of equipment <laughs> that uh, I I rarely use? Well, I you, like I like that you have this Radio Shack telephone handset here, right? I'll, yeah, yeah. I definitely sweet have, landline. That's my sweet landline. That is the uh, exactly. It's a Radio Shack landline, and that other thing under it is a uh, Telos. Do you know those from your radio Are activity? We, I got a Telos. You got one. I at was the just house? on my Telos earlier today. But isn't like that's a that is a piece of rack radio equipment that you use to record phone calls with. Yeah. Now I have to assume that it, there is a technologically easier way, but uh, no one's told me one. I mean, is there another? Just use that Telos, baby. That's right. I, I have think it. I, I think we're transitioning to Telos. Yeah, we're switching over to Telos. We've been trying to do it technological ways; it never works right. So is that we're true? Back to phone lines. Yeah, is it yeah. both of you? Yeah, we're for Judge John Hodgman because John records in Brooklyn and I record in L.A. We have guests in a studio somewhere. Oh, and so like we're just sick of skype families yeah. oh right I, it doesn't the sound quality's not there right and you don't want to get an isdn line i'm guessing well they, you can't even get an isdn line anymore is that, is true? that true yeah they won't they won't put one in for you anymore i had one in here briefly that i never used years yeah. ago so that shit is over yeah it's why because they're moving towards a new technology no just because it was mostly used for you know, the theory was that it was a high-speed internet connection, yeah. and so, but it's not high-speed relative to any other high-speed internet I connection see. in this time, and the number of people who want to use it for broadcasting is about 10 in each city, so, oh, so got I th- it. It's, I thought it was a, a satellite connection. What we need is uh, some hipsters to start up an artisanal retro ISDN system. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, then you need, the, you need the whole other piece of equipment that it, it delivers the IS. That's a whole other piece oh, of you equipment. you got to get that duplexer. Yeah, that you got to plug the ISDN outlet into and then run it into the mixer. Like that that piece of equipment, which I had briefly, is actually confusing and difficult. Yeah, it sure is. It's <laughs> got like a number pad on it and yeah. you have to type in secret codes. Yeah, I yeah. just want to say how much I appreciate, Mark, you're making eye contact with me during this portion of the conversation because yeah. I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for trying to keep me involved and presuming that I know. I know very but as little. as Jesse will attest, I thought my, I- my situation, Jesse, Jesse might have kitted out your situation. Yes. How does this compare to my situation, Jesse? Yours is a little rough. Yeah, right? We're working on it. What's the problem with my situation? Well, John records his whole thing in his office, right? Right. But for some reason, John- I have a stark minimalist- yeah. Aesthetic. <laughs> You'd think with the volume of books that John has, or just the volume of books that John has written, yeah. there would be book lined walls and you know, you would, would imagine John's office like with bearskin right, rug carpets yeah, well, on the ceiling. With club things. chairs. Yeah. yeah. No, just right. four bare walls. Yeah. One of which is literally a mirror. He records into a window. Yeah. With so, one of these mics, though? It sounds like it actually... I just got one of these. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds... And no matter what he does, it sounds sort of like that that one uh, reverb room under Capitol Records. Oh, you got to put some of this stuff up. Yeah, I got to get some foamy foams. 
Yeah, I got. I just I got I some rugs. I got. A, I got a nice. I got a nice uh, uh, cozy rug coming. Oh, there you yeah. go. Now we're talking. Yeah, yeah, you can stick some of these panels around. Yeah. Uh, the f- original panels. I lined all the walls yeah. with ceramic uh, plates. No, oh, that, wrong that choice. Correct? I don't know yeah. which book did you read like that old, in. Like old, like old vintage <laughs> plates, like you see in a diner sometimes. We should put in that kind of like uh, those adjustable audio reflectors that make the that change the tone from classical to jazz. There yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I'll go with that. So, John, yes, now. Mark. Both of you guys, I've known you for a few years, and neither one of you had the amount of hair coming out of your faces. Jesse yes. seems to have really committed that he's transitioned from what I would think was sort of a somewhat of a dandy into a, a hill person. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> I am wearing like a chore jacket right now. <laughs> and John, I, I don't know what you know what what stage of evolving. Uh, uh, into what are you like, evolving from into? You know, I, I I grew a mustache about five years ago. I remember, and because uh, I was jealous, I'm like, he's doing my thing. I was I didn't I was inadvertently doing you. I didn't mean to be copying you, but we, I definitely once was. A, once your soul patch comes into play, that's you know, well, that's just me mustache, and Zappa and Leon Redbone. That's yeah, it. That's right. Mustache without uh, without soul patch though gets very quickly into um, alcoholic cop. Oh yeah, right. So and I so the mustache was easy to explain because that was just I grew that the same reason all forty year old weird dads grow their mustache. It's a it's a signal to the biological mating community. I'm mm-hmm. all done. Is it? <laughs> yeah. We've wrapped this up. Yeah, that's right. No, th- <laughs> I don't. No, thank you. I, I don't know. Mustache if I, rides priceless. <laughs> I have I have put my genetic material out into the world. You're I am done. no longer required. I thought that was usually a a, a, a weight gain thing. I, I find that the mustache may not be putting that message out into the world. Uh, uh, but I, I'm not you. But I, I generally I thought that when you want to signal that, you just forget that you can't eat everything. Well, right. Exactly. <laughs> and then, but then I decided to grow this beard. Yeah. Because I just felt compelled to see what would come out of my face. Because mm-hmm. I think oh, everyone yeah. wants to know what kind of secret sure, man sure. Yeah. lives inside of do, him. How much do I got? Yeah. yeah. And, and what I learned, uh, the secret man who lives inside of me apparently is the part-time bookkeeper at the Church of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> You're a little thin on the sides, but full on the chin. Yeah. I got yeah. a lot. I'm a, I am a, a natural born neck beard, y'all. Yeah. 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 Natural yeah. born. This is, this is all mine. Nothing. Not, I don't have any neck beard weaves in. Well, that does say I'm done. The neck beard. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. But Jesse has been cultivating something there. Like I, Jesse's I, got a magnificent. At first, when, even when I started seeing his new uh, Twitter avatar, I was like, you know, he's in and uh, this is what he's doing now. This is <laughs> this. If someone goes, what's Jesse up to? I'm, I imagine he's working on his beard and mustache. Do you, yeah. know, do you know what the honest truth is, Mark? I had I've wanted to have a beard since I can remember. Yeah. But I couldn't. I, I presumed I couldn't do it. Mm hmm. And by the time I figured out that I sort of could, and like my beard in terms of fullness. a real goddamn Horatio Alger story. It's yeah. a B minus, you know, like it's not the greatest beard. Well, no, you don't have the full, you don't have dense hair, but you've you've grown it out. Yes. Yeah. And the, essentially I figured by the time I got my beard, it was on the downward trend. Yeah. I was like seven out of 10 with yeah. 10 being it's right. so over, you right. can't do it. Right. I figured if I'm going to do it, I better do it. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, I can't half do it. Right. No five o'clock shadows. Sure. Like, it, I have to have a full on crazy person's beard to right. show, yes, I know what it is. Right. I know where it is on the trend, yeah. but I'm going to do it. Well, but but knowing you and knowing that, you know, you have a, 
you know, probably a, a sock weave preference. There, there's a <laughs> certain you know shoe <laughs> products involved that perhaps I was just thinking that the products that you've researched and uh, figured out what to do for yourself has got to be, you know, very exciting. So, how, what kind of products are you well, working you- into that? fucking moss on your face you have to use mustache wax not because you want to like have a curly q mustache but because otherwise if if your mustache is longer than your lip you are constantly eating your mustache see i was just about to mention that what what there's almost an optical illusion going on because your beard your beard is thinner than it seems yes but the mustache tricks you into thinking it is this full (laughs) luxurious thing because i'm looking at you from the side profile here and I'm noticing once again, and I've noticed before, that the, your mustache seems to grow like uh, out at a 90 degree angle from your <laughs> lip. Yeah. And is like reaching out like alien tendrils in Star Trek well, The Next Generation. That's the wax. Yeah, and, and whereas keep it I, under control. Whereas my mustache, if I were to grow it as long as yours, because those are long hairs under yeah. your nostrils. Yeah. They would just immediately go directly into my mouth. And then try to strangle me with from within. <laughs> yeah. Just grab my uvula and, and try and take and 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 in an Ouroboros type of way consume myself. Yeah, you got to oh, train it. You got to yeah, wax it and got train very, it. Uh, that got very complicated and elaborate poetry. We we had the uh, Ouroboros reference. Yeah, for those who don't know, Ouroboros for, is the snake that eats its own tail. Yes, what I call a really dumb snake. Sure, and also a fine metaphor for the world we're living in. True enough. Yes, that uh, I think the Ouroboros was created as a an alchemical symbol of some kind, wasn't it? Or does it go further back? I thought that it was a reference to Jormungandr, the world snake that surrounded the Midgard in Norse mythology, the, Maybe, the, the snake around the earth. I think but, it's one of those odd symbols that, that existed for some reason in many ancient cultures. It's very compelling, isn't yeah, it? To yeah, think that there's sure. a snake out there that's so sure. dumb it's going to eat its own tail. Yeah, well, I but, it, but you know, as far as, uh, as, you know, when you look at the evolution of uh, the the thoughts around the idea of sinning and whatnot, yeah. you know, on a very simplistic, primitive level, that could be every fucking mistake you make. Yeah, that's right. You are, you are, you are. It reminds us that we're all dumb, dumb snakes. Exactly. That are causing our own yeah. pain. Don't do this. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, exactly. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a tail anymore. I cut that off at birth. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know what I'm eating. Yeah. <laughs> So what, what I'm not, I just want to promise your listeners at some point I am going to cough and it is going to be disgusting because you got the I am, thing? I got, I'm, I am under the weather, yeah. but I am naturally an, an aging, decrepit human being mm-hmm. that, that, and, and listeners to the judge John Hodgman podcast will know if they ever heard me cough that everyone goes, Oh my God, are you all right? Well, that's like an old judge should have that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Now let's see what we have here in front of us today. Yeah, yeah, as you dispense justice, <laughs> yeah. you should hear that you are not long. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Like not forgive my ignorance, but no, yeah. you just produced it or are you no, part of the, it? He's the, he's the, he's my bailiff. bailiff. Okay. So, so you remember like announcer. that. Yeah, you remember like uh, the the people's court. Yeah, sure. Back back or Judge Judy. Mm-hmm. They have a they have a bailiff or um, night court. Aren't they still on? Yeah, of course. Night court. I just had John Larroquette in here. Did a, you really? A wonderful conversation. <laughs> Sorry, I I will continue to do that. That's a, the that was the best slap pace in. 
network television. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people. Great. A lot of people go to Seinfeld for that, but you're going to have to go back to Night Court. Oh yeah, Night Court was there long before and had a good run. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I don't Shout out to Mel Torme. Like nine years that thing was on. It's a good show. So if I were Judge Harry in yeah. Night Court, Jesse would be my bailiff bull. Yeah, or Roz. I get how it works. Yeah, and that's a, that's your structure show, and people are enjoying yeah, it. Yeah. So he brings. So he brings. Well. People call in mm-hmm. with real disputes. Yeah. And then Jesse swears them in. And then I walk them through their disputes, which are oh. usually about things like what, Jesse? I can never remember. Oh, my it. favorite one is uh, was a fight between two brothers who bought a house in rural Kansas. Yeah. Uh, known forever as the Bat Brothers because the house that That's they right. bought in rural Kansas, you yeah. can buy a house to save money. Yeah. And they bought this house together to save money. But the problem with the house was bats kept getting into the house through one of the bathroom walls. Oh, my God. Due and, to the hole. Yeah. yeah. And so the dispute was one of the brothers said, we have to fix this hole. Bats are getting in. Yeah. Then the other brother, who was like completely taciturn, like a total Kansas Eeyore guy. Yeah. Uh, he's like, we bought this house to save money. I'm not going to spend $1,500 fixing a bat hole. <laughs> and <laughs> so his recommendation was... <laughs> His bat amelioration scheme yeah. was to keep a dictionary by his bed. Right. And if he saw a bat, Swat smash it, it with a no, dictionary. By the to- it was a two-part system, oh, John. Sorry. I hate I ap- to I hate to correct you here. I apologize. But his two-part system was, number one, there would always be a phone book next to the phone toilet. Book, right. So that if a bat got into the bathroom, you could smash it, and they would always keep the bathroom door closed so that the bathroom would be like a bat airlock. It would be ice, it would bat, bat isolation chamber. And this is, yeah. a, this is a real thing? Yeah, yep. it was 100% real. What do you do, one issue per show? Yes. Okay. So I'll hear both sides of the thing, and then I'll say, uh, you gotta, Fix. what you really gotta do is have a reality show. Right. <laughs> In that case. <laughs> Did they fix the hole? No, they sold the house, I think. No, they had I think they they eventually sold the house, but they had to have a jar into which they put it was like $10 or $20 every time a bat got into the house and were that jar to fill That's they right. were required to patch up the hole that with was, the money. That was pretty wise of me. You're a very wise man, John. The problem is that I forget my wisdom immediately <laughs> yeah. as I move on to new justice. <laughs> <laughs> I've been using that case as an example of what happens on Judge John Hodgman for like five years because it's the only one I remember. Isn't there a big plan? Aren't you guys doing an Abbott and Costello shtick? Are you doing a... Well, we've been touring Judge John Hodgman, which is super fun. Yeah. That's true. Um, uh, it's fun... For me, because people like Judge John Hodgman, unlike any of my other shows, so they come, <laughs> they come to live shows, and then uh, you know it's fun because we get to yell at these people in real life. Right? Oh, so yeah. you, you pull them right up out of the audience. You get people to people fill out submit, things. People yeah. submit cases, right? Just like they do for the yeah. podcast, but we they submit them specifically to be heard on stage, right? In wherever we're going to do it. And the next one we're doing is in Chicago on February 11th. Yeah. Okay. This is going to be like a 12 hour. It's called Very, Very Fun Day. And it's going to be like a 12 hour maximum fun podcast and some Chicago podcasts extravaganza. In what like venue? Multiple rooms. Falia Hall. Okay. Do you know that place? I do. I feel like it I know that place. It used to be an place. opera house. Yes. That was shuttered for years and years and years. Then some nice young men with beards came and turned it into an art space. Oh. Yeah. That's good. I feel like I've been there. The last couple of times I've been there, I played the Vic. Oh, yeah. The, That's which a, is a spot. It's a great theater. Yeah. But I feel like did maybe that uh, the one of the festivals use Thalia Hall? That could be. Recently? Yeah, that could be. I feel that might be it. So there's it's many- been, It's been open for maybe a couple of years. Many spaces within it? Yeah, there's a main 
main theater space, right. which is gorgeous. What are we talking? Eight hundred seater, twenty five thousand seats. That's no. big. I think probably something along that. No, I bet the Bulls played there for say, the yeah. Bulls played there for a while, but there weren't enough luxury boxes. <laughs> yeah, it's it too, too old fashioned. Yeah, and they all had red velvet curtains. Yeah. Then they got like a restaurant in there, and then they got a lounge in the basement where they play some smooth jazz. Yeah, so, so this so is like we've got this. We got big podcast. It's going to be uh, us and the Flop House, Jordan, Jesse, Go. Uh, oh no, Ross that's and two Carrie. Of you. That's, that's two Jesse Thorne podcasts. Well, it's it's cheaper. It's more efficient that way. Are you doing a bullseye there too? <laughs> no, we're not doing bullseye there. Bullseye is your secret uh, uh, public uh, radio treasure. Oh, well, it's secret in the sense that no one listens to it. Yes. <laughs> what do you mean no one listens to it? It's the bullseye? least successful show on national public radio, if that's what you mean by secret. <laughs> he checks the rankings every day. <laughs> I remember when you, what was the old show on public radio? It's Sound a, of Young America. The Sound of yeah. Young America was yeah. one of those ones where- I think I've told you this story before where, you know, I did that dumb thing with you in Santa Cruz when you were in college. Like when he says dumb thing, John, I don't know if you know this, but one of the first times, maybe it was the second time <laughs> I interviewed Mark, <laughs> Jordan and I, who does Jordan Jesse Go with me, were still in college yeah. and it was a fundraising show and we were doing it from the base of the UC Santa Cruz campus where you have to drive past to get in yeah. uh, in our underpants. <laughs> yeah. Ah, okay. Mark was on the phone. Yeah. God bless him. I But like I did it and then years later I'm in Astoria, Queens, you know, making some coffee in my kitchen and I hear NPR at night and yeah. it's like- uh, Live from my living room. Yeah, this I'm is, Jesse Thorne. Jesse Thorne. I'm like, is that that fucking kid? Yeah. And his, it was in his underwear that like, yeah, he did all right for himself, that guy. <laughs> I'm, I met Jesse as, because I was a guest on The Sound of Young America too. Uh-huh. And I remember being told... I wasn't a guest. I was on some radio to college thing. Right. Well, this was when, after you had graduated from college, But I was right? still living in San Francisco. I mean, we're looking at, what, it was 2004 or yeah. five. It was 2005 because it was from a first book. Yeah. The areas of my expertise. And it was before you were a celebrity. That's right. <laughs> it was on the eve of your celebrity. It was, ce- it was ce- celebrity eve. And what yeah. happened? Well, my publicist said, do you have time for one more phoner? And I, and I think it was near Christmas and I was up in the woods of New England with my family. I'm like, well, okay. He said, this is a, this is a woman named Jessie Thorne. She has a podcast. <laughs> and a, she has a podcast called The Sound of Young America yeah. that is also syndicated in Walla Walla, Washington and Hattiesburg, Mississippi on yeah. radio. Shout out said, to WUSM. I said, okay. okay. Sounds good. And if, if you've ever heard the voice of Jessie Thorne and you have been hearing it, it is a, a beautiful and compelling radiolicious voice. Yeah. But imagine if you had been told this was a woman's voice. Oh. It was a it it, it it was a very it's confounding. It's by the great Nina Simone. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very confounding phone call to have, but I was immediately struck by the uh, the intelligence and preparation behind <laughs> okay. this strange woman, with man, this... woman voice <laughs> with, <laughs> with perfect radio diction, who has only heard in Hattiesburg and Walla Walla and. And that I, was the beginning of a beautiful relationship. It yeah, was. I mean, I literally look where like, we are now. Well, and now look, Mark. Like I literally, I booked John on the show on the basis of ah, I, this is like a funny McSweeney's guy. Like I'd seen his McSweeney's thing. Oh yeah, that's like, still yeah, around. That's pretty funny. Yeah, and I'm, I booked him on there, and I w- he was so funny on the show. I mean, maybe still the funniest guest that had ever been on the show. And my wife and I went out to his book reading. It yeah. was like a week later in the hate in San Francisco. And literally the crowd at his book reading, for which he had brought uh, his and our friend Jonathan Colton dressed in buckskins. And a coonskin hat. Literal buckskins. Jonathan, who plays guitar and is is my 
I'll say definitely one of my better friends. Mm -hmm. I, I refuse to say best friend because yeah, I've met him a couple times. I'm from New England, yeah. and I'm an emotionally stunted human. But uh, yeah, I was scared to go on the road by myself, so he came along with me. And I the the gig was that I was I would pretend that Jonathan was my feral mountain man butler. Ah. Yeah, um, so he had a built-in so shtick. We shtick. so he's so John is trying to do his shtick with poor Jonathan dressed up in this outfit, and the crowd at this is the people that work at the bookstore. Yes, me, my <laughs> wife, my now wife, <laughs> then girlfriend Teresa. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, a man who had driven John there. That uh, guy, oh Frank Loria. Yeah. And, uh, and and shout out to Frank. And, oh wow, I forgot. And Dave Frank. Eggers and Dave Eggers' baby. Yeah. Good crowd. <laughs> just Good there. crowd. And a buckskin man. Just, John, just Colton just walks out for his big entrance in his buckskins. You just see him. Mean, he's the nicest man on earth and yeah. brilliantly talented yeah. and hilarious. And he just walks out and he's like, yeah. Yeah. I'm wearing the buckskins for these people. Yeah. And Eggers' baby cries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There were one or two other people there, but that's basically correct. I mean, literally like one or two. And the reason I say that is that I I was reading a bit from my book describing the old street con, the three-card Monty. Sure. Now, you know what the three-card Monty sure, is. Sure, sure. But it's it's disappeared because there what is- What is it? Watch the red. Yeah. It, it has not disappeared. I saw someone doing it the other day where? in downtown really? Los Angeles. Stop really? it. Good for you. And I also saw someone selling- uh, tiny turtles which was like a staple of my mother's another staple of my mother's childhood living tiny turtles, turtles. Living. Yeah, living tiny turtles right. is this, are, are they doing retro street crime is that <laughs> no. retro street scams there's just los angeles is so sprawling that there's just parts that have never advanced beyond 1963 they, they still haven't didn't get around three so, card, the three card, card is like there's the guy with the cards and there's the guy pretending to bet money that's talking you into betting money and there yeah. might be one other shill there and then there's yeah. a couple guys watching for cops exactly and so. i wanted to give when i saw the guy actually doing it i wanted to give him five dollars in the the same way that you would support someone who is keeping clogging alive. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. A lost art form. Good yeah. for you, sir. Yeah. But uh, when, when my wife, when we were, in, this was a thing like in our 20s, we would yeah. see in New York. Right. And I fell for it. When so I, I did too. Yeah. And my wife. Never see $20 my wife go never more quickly. My wife never fell for it, but she she saw it one time and her friend said, oh, that's three card Monty. And, she's, and my wife was not my wife at the time. She goes. How do you know his name is Monty? Uh -huh. <laughs> so adorable. But he got that guy pressuring you. Like, you know, like, yeah. I, I think I lost like 20 or $50. Oh, yeah. Because he's like, come on, come on. And come on. They're, they're bullying you to put your money down. Right. And then, you don't. You, a lot of times they, they, they'll kick the thing out and split because of a cop or whatever. Right. Like, you know, right when you, you can't even get the opportunity, not that you would win it back. Yeah, no, don't, Mark, you're not missing any opportunities there. There's no winning? No, there's no winning. <laughs> God oh, damn Mark. it. But I had been taken so hard and so humiliatingly, humiliatingly, anyway, that I wrote a, a, a jokey bit about it in my book and I'm reading it in San Francisco and I'm not getting any, any response. Yeah, because they don't know what it is. And I said, is it that, is it that you don't have three card Monty here? Or everyone in San Francisco is just so <laughs> virtuous that they would never con one another. And some and someone in the audience said, "That's what it is." <laughs> <laughs> Every, yeah, everyone. All right, listener, here it comes. <coughs> Ooh. Are you? Uh, how many books have you written, John? Three books, and I'm about to write a fourth. Book. Really? What's this one about? So, for the past couple of years, since I wrote my last book of fake facts and mm -hmm. bogus trivia and goofball absurdist humor. No one knows the difference anymore, I know, apparently. Well, that's why I, I realized I couldn't peddle it anymore. <laughs> it's well, I literally couldn't do... You know, I, I, I stopped 
basically stopped being on The Daily Show because the character I was doing, The Deranged Millionaire, yeah. had been based on Donald Trump. It had been based on 2011 when Donald Trump was going on CNN yeah. and Fox and everything else peddling the birther conspiracy. Right. And I was, I said to The Daily Show, that's what, that's what we should have. Yeah. You know, like that guy. just some, a rich white guy who yeah. gets to be on the news because he decides to be. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I said, let's turn my character into that. And they're like, okay, let's do that. And then once Donald Trump became a reality, uh-huh. going into 2015, when Trevor Noah took over the show and yeah. we were talking about, would you like to stay on? I'd like to, but I need to think about what to do. Yeah. It's like, there's nothing I can do. I yeah. can't compete <laughs> with the long form improv that that guy's doing. <laughs> like, there's no, you know, everything that I've ever done comedically. The high risk, dangerous improv yeah. of the incoming administration. Yeah, right. Well, at that time, it was just, it was just a, an absurd campaign. Yeah. It was nowhere near yeah. the horrible reality. Yeah. The, the, in my opinion, horrible. Right. I don't know, I don't know where you guys stand. I'll stand I'm, there with you. Yeah. I'm an NPR journjournalist. I have no opinion. No, okay. Jesse has no opinion. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. There, so I basically said, I, I'm out, you know, because my, my humor in that vein had always been like, take this and then take it to next level, the, its logical conclusion and then take it to its illogical conclusion. Right. And, and its absurdist conclusion. But Trump was already doing that and then going beyond that. Mm-hmm. So for the past couple of years, instead, I've been traveling around doing Judge John Hodgman and then also doing my one-man imitation stand-up comedy show, which is just more or less straightforward storytelling from my actual life. And does well? You do well with that? I do incredibly well. Oh, good. 25,000 seats at Folia Hall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 100,000 seats. I hear you're playing 25,000 seaters everywhere. Yeah, that's right. Everywhere. <laughs> He's got actually doing six in a row in Dublin. Oh. Six 25,000. They love country music there. So the he's O2, very big. The O2 Arena in London. Yeah. Nine. That's a great town, Dublin. I, I just played there too, not too long ago. I really liked it. I've never, you know, I've, I've never been to Dublin or Ireland. Ireland is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Yeah. It's, uh, and like, I have no genetic connection to it, but I get there and I'm like, this is beautifully i feel like i could be it. home you get it right you away. just switch the o and my a and the a in my name you get moran yeah right be there a quick go. switch yep yeah and i fit right you're in thinking, but uh, you're thinking about it aren't you i just i i even when i went there when i went to the kilkenny festival i did not do well there but mm-hmm. i was so taken by the country itself and the landscape and the people i i just felt uh so mark you know what your natural there. you know what your natural mm. home in ireland is what belfast yeah. Get out of Dublin, get into Belfast. My stepmother is from Belfast. Yeah. Uh, who I g- grew up with. Yeah. And uh, that's your people, Mark. Really? Belfast is a land of just profound bitterness and bitter hilarity. Well, like, okay, the all right. darkest, they will go to the darkest place in a, a half a second. Well, I find that a lot of Irish will do that, but not. I, I, I don't sense bitterness. I like the uh, the the slightly defeated crankiness. Yeah, that, like you know, like aggressive <laughs> darkness. I, I get it. it's exhausting me now. I, I had it, I moved through the bitterness, and now I'm sort of like, where's some of the the warm kind of like the 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 cranky darkness, slightly defeated that kind of ends existentially pleasant. You know, like right. that you're moving towards something, and, it, and it's okay at the end. My, my, wow. <laughs> you have really dissected the Irish character. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> my, uh, my uncle John. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I went and, and had lunch with him uh, when I was in Belfast last, which was maybe five years ago, and we met him in this nice cafe, this nice organic cafe. You know, like a real 
tofu and bean sprouts sandwich. Uh-huh. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking like, man, there sure are a lot of pictures of like Yasser Arafat on the walls here mm. at this organic cafe that my uncle has had us meet at. And apparently he basically, he had us meet in this cafe that is like a socialist revolutionary cafe uh-huh. underneath Sinn Féin headquarters that used to be IRA headquarters uh-huh. because that's like where he's most comfortable. My uncle is like a 60-year-old like guy that runs the computers in an office. Uh-huh. But like his comfort zone is there has radical. to be- He wants to be in the radical socialist. There has to be the presence at any time of possible- uh, social murder overthrow. and murderous violence yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and that to him is the funny like my stepmother funniest story that oh. she'll ever tell you is oh yeah one time uh w- one time a police officer tried to sexually assault me and i kicked him in the nuts and then i kicked him in the face down a flight of stairs ha 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 that's a ha, that's the thanksgiving story that's yeah. like a, yes. at the table kids well, the thanks- listen up grandma's gonna say something. it sounds like they are probably the best equipped people for the next four years <laughs> that we know <laughs> literally the thanksgiving story mark they only got meat once a week. Yeah. And because uh, my stepmother's uh, father died when she was very young. She grew up very poor in a big family. And they had to eat him? And her sister, yeah. <laughs> but only once a week. <laughs> they her had to parse him out over many, many weeks. <laughs> Each kid got one rasher of bacon yeah. for Sunday dinner. One ration of rashers? One ration of rashers. Yeah. And uh, my stepmother's sister uh, tried to steal her rasher of bacon. Yeah. And my stepmother, who's the youngest in the family, who was like eight or ten, yeah, uh, stabbed her sister through the hand with a fork. Huh? For the bacon. For yeah, that one piece of bacon, the bacon. To protect that. See, these one are piece Belfast Irish stories. I, yeah. they're, they're a little too heavy for me. <laughs> yeah. I thought. I thought you wanted to go to a, a <laughs> we're, we're, place of. Well, where's where's well, the existentially uplifting? You want to focus yeah. on yeah. like a potato famine, something that's more of a hundred years. Potato in the past famine, than and like you know, well, you know, we get by a dark imagining, but with a little. A little affirmation at the end. Um, I've got. I've still got the Max Fun patch up there, pinned to the bulletin board. Oh, from the nice. one time I was invited, the time that you said I was the benevolent colonel of the nerd plantation. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the best. That was the best uh, description I had ever had until I. Have you ever had Tom Arnold on your show? Yes. Tom Arnold's kind of an amazing guy. Yeah, you get two for one with him. Yeah. <laughs> and- <laughs> At the pace he goes. <laughs> he, he came on Bullseye and said that I looked like uh, the bouncer at a Hasidic strip club. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that was the new. That, that surpassed. That's I don't know if it surpasses in Colonel depth. Of the, that's true. That's fair. So, all right. So, we're promoting the Chicago thing. Yeah, we're sure. going to have some tickets at the door. I mean, we're going to try and do it over the summer. I mean, if you're not in Chicago, you can listen to the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Of course, yeah. but the big event at the Thalia, the, the Thalia. twenty, you got a lot of seats to sell, 25,000. 25, I think there are about 24,000 left. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. Advanced yeah. tickets are sold out, but we're going to have some tickets oh, at the true? door. Oh, yeah. is that true? Yeah, totally. Well, then why the fuck am I here? Bye. Exactly. He's uh, sick. Sorry. You drag him out from Brooklyn to so, do this? So sorry. Well, uh, thanks for talking, fellas. What? Thank you. You have a closing message? Ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> if it please the jury. <laughs> Have fun, you guys. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Those fellas. Huh? Right? Go to MaximumFun.org for tickets to the thing. The very, very fun day that they're involved with. And, uh, you know, that's it. That's it for those dudes. 
All right, so I'm going to talk to Joe DeRosa now. Joe DeRosa, I, I met in New York. I used to see him around. He's been on, he was on the show years ago on a live one. You can go to joederosacomedy.com for Joe's specials and podcasts and all things Joe. This is me and the uh, mildly self-involved and tormented Joe DeRosa. DeRosa. Buddy, it's been a while. Has been. The last time I think I saw you, we uh, had a conversation about whether or not we uh, were wearing shorts or capri pants. <laughs> and who, uh, who, who cut their, their fucking jeans properly. We were both very proud that we made our own cutoffs. Yes. But mine went up a little higher than yours. And then there, I saw the flurry of insecurity in you as to whether or not... I was right or you were right, and you decided, I think, in your heart that you'd make the right call by cutting yours off just above the knee. See, and I thought mine were too short, and yours were even shorter. Well, yours were not. How were they too short? You had one, if yours were any longer, they'd, they'd be capri pants. I th- No, mine, above the... B- capris go... Uh, you, you got, like, some space above the ankle with a capri. Then you right. got then there's clam. Remember clam diggers? Is that's not the same thing as capri pants? That's like a little higher than capri pants. Clam the, diggers? Man, I don't know. Maybe I missed that. <laughs> maybe I maybe I missed clam diggers. You I don't weren't know. into shorts back in the day. Sure, I was, but like I uh, I remember I did cargo shorts for a while just because they were easy and they you know they yeah. you bought them everywhere. Yeah. Uh, maybe many years ago, I had a couple of pairs of tennis shorts when I might have played a little ten- played a little tennis. But cutoffs have always been sort of the the thing I did. I've had longer shorts. You, I like a longer short, so I think I could have been a little longer without being at a capri pant. I threw those shorts away. Really? I wore them that one day, and I never wore them ever again. What happened? I just was too self. It didn't feel right to me. It didn't really? feel right. Yours looked good, even though they were a little shorter than I would wear them. Yeah. You wore them well. Right. And you had a great line, by the way. <laughs> I said, I cut mine off this morning, and you said, so did I. And I go, uh, I go, how'd you do yours? And you go, I brought in a team. <laughs> because <laughs> i was just like there were to me there was like this whole science to it like how do you when you're not living with somebody how do you cut your own shorts off yeah i well what you know you talk it you know you mentioned this right when we got in about uh not wanting to be alone what what, what are you all right i guess so yeah, yeah i mean what do you mean living with somebody you mean like a woman yeah, yeah, a woman. Or just a dude. You're like, dude, did these shorts, can you come over and... Sometimes that would come in handy. Sure. You know, just yeah. to have a person Roommate, there. A yes. person to, to say, that those are good, Joe. Yeah, yeah. I look at good it as... Good job, Joe. It's... <laughs> It's a consultant, no matter how. It's a roommate, wife. Am I okay? Way. You're okay, Joe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you come over and do that for me? I, uh, I've i been a living alone for most of my adult life. So I'm just, I'm getting, it. I'm 39. I'm getting to the age where I'm like, am I, did I run out of time here? Did I? For did what? I, I feel like I should have been in a significant relationship by now. By 39? Yeah, my longest relationship was eight months, and I'm like, I, it should have been longer than that by now. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> are you panicking? <laughs> yeah, especially when you go, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I understand what you're saying. I've been in longer relationships; they don't usually end up successful, right? So, uh, you know, I you know, these are two sides of a of a coin here. You haven't had a long one; you think you should have. I have had plenty that just ended up in the toilet. But I would say that yours. 
yours falls on the side of better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. Or better to have thought you have loved <laughs> and l- <laughs> left to wonder whether you're even capable of it and lost. <laughs> are, you, are, you, uh, are you in a relationship now? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why you get to live out in this great neighborhood, because that's what I was saying to you was, well, I mean, you get to live out here either way. Yeah. But I said to you when I sh- first showed up, yeah, I love this neighborhood. If I wasn't so terrified of being alone, I would I would live out well, here. Well, yeah, but I, I had that thing. How long have you lived out here? Three, a little over three years. From New York. Yeah. The first couple of years I lived here, I lived over by uh, the old UCB up on, on Franklin. Right. So there's about two blocks of, of walking traffic right like there's storefronts right yeah i think that when you you come from new york there's a natural desire to be able to walk outside mm-hmm. walk to a store walk to the you, you but you're by atwater village yeah so you can walk by there maybe wave at the guy at the place right right you buy and a then, pastry yeah exactly. right how you doing today fine exactly and then you know go try to think you're not alone for a little while <laughs> It's it's an illusion. It's a holodeck. It's just a holodeck. Well, to, it, you know. it's illusion in the sense that um, you know L.A. is fundamentally you know not that kind of city, and it is hard. It's a hard adjustment to make. But look, if if having those four blocks of useless fucking stores and restaurants uh-huh. enables you to feel comfortable, it does. It does. It really does. I'm it, not going to take that away from you. Thank you. I but appreciate it's, it's, it. It's going to diminish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me have my little thing. Uh, <laughs> like, where do you go in the morning? Like, you get up and you're like, okay, here are my rounds. Well, I have a dog, so I get up, I walk my dog. I try to do like an hour walk with the dog first thing. Really? Like a strenuous or? Uh, not a strenuous, just it gets him exercise, it gets me out, I'm walking around, it gets yeah. the juices going, you think, you, yeah. you're right, whatever. Then I come back and I do uh, I do a, a mile on the treadmill. Yeah? Uh, just to- Where, at the house? Sweat it out. I have a gym in my building that I live in. You live in a building that has a gym. Yeah. In Atwater. Uh-huh. So you have a full-service apartment situation. You're not renting a house or anything. No, no, no. I'm renting an apartment with all the amenities. As oh, so, so you did... You, you, that's another nice natural adjustment from New York. It is very like nice. Like if you rented a house like most people do, you'd be like, I can't. There's, there's nothing. I- <laughs> you'd be sleeping on the floor, wondering who fixes things <laughs> when they break. <laughs> I rented a house when I first got here, and I would call the landlord and be like, hey, so these filters are clogged and the air conditioners? And they'd be like, yeah. And I was like, so come. And they were like, no, 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 you go and you do it. And, and I go, so then I'll just take it out of the rent? And they were like, no, no, it's a house. You just... <laughs> so try, try owning one. It's a disaster. Because yeah. I'm the same way, and because of that, things have to get pretty bad around here for me to make changes. <laughs> What we were talking about, you're sad and alone. Sad and alone. We can go back. Let's circle back to that. I mean, I feel like that's a thing that you and I could talk about for a very, very long time. We'll blow through I, I haven't. I haven't been alone in a long time, and I don't know sometimes whether or not I, I stay in relationships or I'm in them you know, because I'd, I, I'd rather not be alone. I wish I had that problem uh, because I do the opposite. I'm terrified of being alone, yet I run... Let me, t- let me, I don't know if I've ever shared this with anybody. When I approach, when I start yeah. to approach a commitment. A commitment of any kind? Uh, I'd say an intimate romantic commitment, okay. mostly. Because um, I don't have a problem making friends, yeah. you know, and all that stuff. But a lot of the time when I approach a- an intimate thing. Are they really your friends though, Joe? I don't know. Okay. I think ahead. it's more like this. <laughs> yeah, comic friends. It's comic friends. It's- you all right? I'm all right. Yeah. All right. Good to see you. That it's- was funny. This is... <laughs> I want to tell a quick story about you. You can go eat. You want to eat? What? <laughs> the first time I saw you, this was years ago. Right. So you were, you were not dating the person you're dating now. I don't know who you were dating. But um, 
You, uh, it wasn't good. You, you, <laughs> you, I saw you at the improv. It was the first time I saw you here, after I moved here? to LA. Yeah. Oh. And uh, the last time I'd seen you was in New York. We did Opie and Anthony together. And as I was leaving, you said, hey, man, if you ever need a place to stay, you call me, dude. You're a good guy. I got your back. And I was like, that's really nice. And I knew I would never ask you for that favor. But me it, too. It meant... <laughs> <laughs> it meant it yeah. meant a lot. It was yeah. comforting just to hear it. So then I saw you at the improv, yeah. and I was I had a place to live and everything. I just was feeling down, and I wasn't really adapting to LA. Yeah. And I walked up to you, and I was like, "Hey, man, how you doing? Uh, just moved out here finally. What's going on with you?" And you just went, "Relationships are hard," and then you walked away. <laughs> That was it? <laughs> that was the whole conversation. <laughs> well, at least I wasn't mean to you. No, you weren't mean. It was just well, no, but I think dealing we, with something. You and I always got along. I, I, you know, I was always surprised. I think initially I was surprised because, you know, you have an Italian name, Joe DeRosa. Right. You cut your hair kind of bro-y or a little metro-y at first. Right. And, you know, like, I always, you know, before I knew you, I kind of lumped you in. Not with guys I didn't like or guys I didn't think were funny, but guys who I thought were the opposite of me. Right. So when, when I met you and actually hung out with you, it was a revelation that somebody who looked like you uh, could be as insecure and fucking nutty. <laughs> you know, like you, you were like, um, you were a portal into the reality <laughs> that that people yeah. who look like they're from Philly can yeah. be uh, fucked up, insecure guys. Yeah, yeah. No, that I get that a lot from people. You do? I get it constantly. People are like, people are like, you, you have this... You give off this initial first impression that you're maybe a little like meatheady or something, right? Or abrasive or whatever. I uh, know a lot of that's got to do with my comedy because my comedy is not very uplifting. Uh, but but then, it's not. But it's not mean, and it's not like narrow-minded. It's introspective and and kind of hard on yourself. Yeah, it's right. a lot of what the fuck is wrong with everybody. And me. Uh, and me and God, more everybody. Oh, yeah. But, but, you know, but it's becoming more maybe about everybody else. Maybe we're getting to the uh, real thing. Then. <laughs> yeah, maybe we're getting here. Let's get to the real thing. Really? Yeah, but I'm serious. I get this all the time. People go, you're not, you're you're like a nice, sensitive guy. You're really emotional. Yeah. I'm, I, I cry at stuff all the time. And Yeah? yeah. What was the last time you cried at? Uh, I, I got a little teary watching the finale of Sherlock the other night. Oh, really? I didn't watch that. I don't know where people find time or the shows. What is that show? Where's it on? It's on... <laughs> I I was catching it on the PBS app. Uh, the new season was being released on Masterpiece Theater on the PBS app. Yeah. Which is the only time I've ever watched Masterpiece Theater. Right. was because I could get the new season of yeah. Sherlock. right. But I love the show. It's great. But I get teary. I, I'll cry out of um, elation. Yeah. You know, like when I saw The Force Awakens, the, the second to last Star Wars movie, I cried when like Han Solo came back on the screen out of like nostalgia and elation. Sure. No, I get that. I, I mean, I, I tear up pretty frequently. I, I've, I've watched some movies lately where I teared up. I, I, I tear up at uh, certain points during an, uh, an AA pitch. Sorry, people's <laughs> right. stories. Yeah. Uh, I cry. Uh, you know, not I don't watch many commercials anymore because I'm not watching a lot of regular TV, but uh, I definitely get moved. Yeah. All right, so but all right, so we cry. I get it. Yeah, we cry. Okay, age of innocence. Well, but where'd you yeah. grow up? Are you a Philly guy? I was born in Philly. Yeah, <clears throat> and then I grew up outside of Philly in a small town called Collegeville, or Trap was the other name of it. Yeah, which, ironically, but uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I grew up in a in a suburban town that was very. You know, I have no ill will towards my hometown. It's where I grew up. I have a lot of love for it. But it to, was a very to, what's it called? The town Trap. T-R-A-P-P-P. How far out of Philly was it? Not far. Th- 
20 miles or something. Okay, so you like, but Philly was your city. Yeah, Philly was my city. Norristown, Pennsylvania, King of Prussia. You know, yeah. How old are you? 39. Where'd you start doing comedy? In Philly? In Philly. I started in an all-black club called The Laugh House in Philadelphia. I was one of two white comedians. Who was the other guy, Big J? Uh, Jay had already moved on. Jay oh, really? started there with Kevin Hart. Right. And, and Kurt Metzger, and they right. all moved out of Philly about a year or two right. before I started. Right. And then uh, I started, it was Mike Vecchione was the other white, and then there was another guy, Rocco Stowe. I remember, I know Mike Vecchione. Yeah. And who, Rocco who? Rocco Stowe or Brian Stowe. He's at the store sometimes. You've probably met him. And yeah, yeah. Him. Yeah. He's the guy you thought I was. Like, he is... Oh, yeah? I'm not saying that as a slight. He, yeah. I love the guy. But he is very Philly. He's very like, yeah, so what are we doing, huh? What yeah. do we go? You know? You, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's very much that guy. But he's a great dude. He's hilarious. Why are you not that guy? Because I'm damaged. I'm broken. I was adopted. You were uh, adopted? Yeah, I'm adopted. Wait, now, okay. So how many siblings do you have? None. My parents couldn't have kids. My mom wanted to have six kids. That was her dream. She couldn't conceive. Uh -huh. She got pregnant once and had a miscarriage. Yeah, and then they adopted me. And the way they and they're they're religious people. And the way they adopted Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Catholic, Roman okay. Catholic. Uh, and the way they adopted me was, uh, it, it, by some people's interpretations, would have had a, a miracle. Uh, element. Uh, yeah, element to it. Like so, what happened was they. You mean so you have you have no parents? I have no parents. You just appeared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there was no father. Yeah, yeah. I, it was an immaculate conception. They, wow. Uh, no, my my parents were on two different adoption lists. They were yeah. on a secular list and a and a church list. And the church list called my parents and said, "You have to remove yourself from all other lists if you want to remain on our list." And my parents said, "We're not doing that." And the church said, well, if you don't, then you're going to have to take yourself off our list. And they said, well, well, we're not removing ourselves from any other lists. And the next day, the secular list called them and they got me. So uh -huh. my mom saw that as a miracle that had they listened to the church at that moment, they wouldn't have gotten me. There's a miracle in the wrong direction. I for know a it is. It's yeah. You see where I'm fucked up now is they're telling you it's a miracle, but then it's not a miracle because it's right. a miracle against the church. Yeah. The church wanted you to turn your back. <laughs> On the possibility of Joe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was the that was the beginning. Were you newborn? I was like nine days old. Really? And I never remember being told I was adopted. I always knew. Like they so they told me from an early age, I mean. And what 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 what'd your dad do? What what was the family business? What'd you grow up in? My dad worked in computers and later became a deacon of the Catholic Church. Really? That's what he does now. Yeah. He's a deacon. Now, uh -huh. where is that in the hierarchy? It's one step below priest. One step below priest. Yeah, and he has told me if my mom dies, he would probably become a priest. Wow. So, a deacon, though, do, what, did he make enough money in the computer racket to not worry about that, or did they get pretty good pay? No, no. They used him and chucked him out after 40 years or something like that. They laid him <laughs> off after 40 years with nothing. He had to work at Home Depot until his you know, retirement would ever kicked in. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were real paycheck to paycheck growing up. We didn't have we didn't have a lot of money, but my parents, uh, you know, it, it was like typical eighties, typical eighties trap bullshit. They bought the house that was out of their price range out yeah. in the suburbs, right? And got into all this credit card debt, and their jobs let them down. And you know, what'd your mom do? Just administrative stuff. She was a secretary mostly. Here and there, but big. But they really were into the church. The, the, they still are. Yeah, they still are. My dad is particularly is very religious, but not in a Bible thumper way. Like he would, he has said in defense of me, "You need to find your own way." 
this was my way. It doesn't mean it's your way. He's very righteous in that sense, uh-huh. which is refreshing. Yeah. Uh, he's a pretty. So you didn't get it. You didn't get it laid on you. The hell thing and. I did in school and stuff, but as I got older, it that 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 sentiment got a, a lot more reasonable. Do you remember the 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 um, the moment where you decided like, ah, this isn't for me? Uh, from the beginning, I never. It's like I talk to Catholics, and sometimes like some some people are are lapsed, but other people are like early on. They're like, no, no, it not never, buying it. Yeah, it never it never moved me. I was terrified of it because I did believe because I was a kid, so I believed yeah. in the supernatural idea of there's a pit of fire you'll burn in or whatever. Right. Uh, but it never moved me. I never enjoyed church. I was always stamp stomping my feet having to go to church. I, and I was also depressed from a very young age. My neighborhood w- where I grew up, the environment I grew up in, was very cookie cutter. It was very uninspiring. There was no no diverse culture or anything there. Yeah. And I knew from a very young age, I'm talking third grade, like, I got to yeah. get the fuck out of this place. Really? Like, I got to get the fuck out You're of this place. You're ready to go? Yeah. 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 So it was like, and I just knew that it was going to be so long until I could do that. <laughs> and that made me terribly, terribly depressed. Well, in, in yourself, in your introspection, what do you think the being adopted, what does that imply to you? I mean, did, have you ever tried to find? No. No desire. No, 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 no desire. No, huh. I pretty much took the hint uh. when they abandoned me. Oh, see, <laughs> now you can hold on to that. That's an old bit. Yeah. The uh, no, the uh, it's it's uh, no. I, I I to take you through it properly. It meant nothing to me in the beginning. I didn't think it. It didn't bother being me. adopted. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even think about it. I yeah. didn't care. Uh, then when I was 12, my mom broke the news to me that I was not Italian right. uh, by blood. I was yeah. actually, uh, what I found out later, Middle Eastern. But she thought I was Egyptian because that's what the adoption people told her. Yeah. That my, one of my parents was Egyptian. Uh-huh. So I found out that I wasn't what I had thought I was for 12 years. Italian. Yeah. So you can pass. I can pass. Yeah, it's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> so... That was like a sort of a cage rattle at that point in my yeah. life, and c- it kind of fucked me up a little bit. It's and kind of exotic, though. Exci- exciting. You might be like you might be half Egyptian. My mom's. I love my mom dearly. I don't say this to criticize her, and I know she was trying to protect me. But yeah. my mom said to me at that time, "Don't tell anybody," because we lived in a sort of. There were a lot of racist people where we lived, and she didn't want. And she was so because of this thing where they they wanted all these kids, they couldn't have the kids. Yeah. Then they had this miracle in quotes adoption. Yeah. It it becomes like a sort of a smothering situation. She was overprotective. She was so terrified she was going to lose me. Uh, to the point of giving me advice in hindsight, which wasn't great, which was don't tell people what you are ethnically because they might after you you found out at 12 yeah they might harm you or yeah right or, and i was also getting bullied a lot in school at that why time. i don't know i just was probably because i wasn't the uh guido meathead that you wanted me to be yeah you know like i i, I don't know but I just, how like but how overprotective was your mother uh overprotective in the sense that she said don't tell anybody you're egyptian because why add fuel to this fire uh but not overprotective when I would cry and say, please switch me to another school, she right. said, no, you have to face your battles. You can't leave. Uh-huh. So, you, you don't know. remember why you were bullied? You just had, you just, you just, you had one of those, you were just one of those guys? I had one of those faces. Yeah. I had one of those faces. Yeah, you know, they, I, mean, I don't know. Were you bullied as a kid? 
I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. Not really. I. I. I think uh, as a young kid, no. I probably tended towards the other side. I. I might have not been the main bully, but I might have been one of the kids behind him going, "Yeah, fuck that guy." <laughs> Congrats, you're the first comedian I've ever met that was on that side of it. Every comedian's always on the other side of it. I was always odd and always outside of things, but I think that I had a certain amount of, uh, you know, like, I I remember, like, I never quite felt like I fit my own skin or fit in anywhere, so I would attach myself to to people, you know? Uh-huh. And, and they weren't really bullies, but I, I definitely always felt... Um, alone in the crowd you know what i mean sure but i was never really majorly bullied well i think we all i think we all not we all not we all meaning comedians because i hate that shit where it's like you know us comic but i think people that don't fit in all feel like that and uh obviously and then we all react in to survive in our I, own I would way. probably disagree with you you may not have met any comedians that were bullies but i i think there's a few out there yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I was just being facetious. <laughs> right, right, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, could, I could name a few. Yeah, <laughs> they, they're still doing it. It's <laughs> a great point, actually. Now a lot have really come to mind, and I retract <laughs> yeah. the statement. You know, I'm, I'm sure we all felt odd and uncomfortable, or that right. we didn't fit in. That's usually what I hear. Well, I think people that feel odd and uncomfortable, yeah, uh, take it out of the context of comics. Just people in general that feel like that. I think you survive in your own way. That's right, and if and I think that it's true. If you are are putting that out in the world, uh, you know, you're vulnerable. Yes. Like you know, some people can't hide their vulnerability, and I guess that's what 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 you were saying. Yeah, I I kind of steered into the curve and was like, well, why puff my chest out when I could just curl up in a ball over here? Sure. You know what I mean? And that sure. that at a young age, because in all fairness, I was kind of a mama's boy because I was raised with such fear. Yeah, she was afraid. Yes, you know it's weird. Right. Like uh, a lot of times, here's I just thought of something. Okay. I was very sad. Like here's how, here's how I was bullied. If it, if I was bullied, it was this way, and this is unique, and you might be able to relate to this because I think we have something in common. I'm not sure what, but uh, mm-hmm. temperament. Yeah. But like I would work really hard to become part of a group of friends. Mm-hmm. Like I would say, like those those guys are cool. So I would do everything I could to ingratiate myself or find a way in to hang out with them. You know, I was not naturally charming. I was not the guy that everybody wanted to hang out with. Right. I was the guy kind of like I need to be with those, hang out with those people. Right. So a couple of times, like once I finally kind of pushed myself into the social situation, they would treat me like an asshole. Really? Right. Like, you know, like when I finally made these friends, like I, I you know, I really wanted to be friends with this guy, Dave. And, you know, once we started to become friends, you know, we would make plans and he wouldn't show up. That kind of shit. Okay. Well, that's interesting because when I got into high school, and my high school started in ninth grade. Yeah. When I went, I immediately became friends with all the baddest kids I could find. Like, right. I became friends with all like the- it's Like jail yard thinking. Yeah. 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 Like I became friends, and they were all like the hip hop kids, like yeah. with the puffy starter jacket, trench right. coats, and all that stuff. Right. And I loved hip hop, so that was fine by me. Right. Uh, but that's those are all the kids I hung out with. And same thing. At first, it was great. I got in, and they really liked me, yeah. whatever. And then I became the run of the litter, and then I was the guy that they fucked with all the time. Yeah, I was sort of that guy, too. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Okay. And then what ultimately happened with me is I just found my own way. Like, you know, like that was high school, 
And then when I started hanging out down by the university and I got a job down by the university and started to meet like people that were, you know, way above and beyond, you know, what was interesting Mm -hmm. to people in high school. And I started focusing on art and talking to the guy who worked at the bookstore. Like I realized there was another world out there and I didn't have to be tethered to, uh, you know, drinking and driving every Friday and Saturday with a bunch of wackos. See, I didn't, I, I didn't fully discover the other world until college. Yeah. Uh, I had, I got out of, I, I did eventually make real friends in high school and I did eventually have a nice time. What was your thing in high school? Um, music. You, uh, oh yeah? Yeah. I played music. What kind, what'd you play? Well, I started out playing, uh, drum. Well, I played saxophone in grade school. Then I switched to drums in high school. Yeah. And then I, and then I started playing in bands, I guess in 11th grade or yeah, something. Yeah. So by the time I got to 12th grade, I had a couple bands and people thought Drummer? that was cool. Yeah. I, well, one good? of them I drummed in one I sang in. Oh yeah, you sing? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, hob. I wouldn't say I'm. You know, that implies being paid to do it. But no, I yeah, I can sing. Like what? Like rock. You know, indie rock. Oh yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. You yeah, know? Like what songs were you covering back then? We weren't really covering songs. You we were writing your own music. Yeah, we were doing. You were writing music. songs. Yeah, we were writing songs. Yeah. You wrote some songs. I still write some songs. Really? Yeah, I do. Like, uh, are they sad? Logic. If you listen to the lyrics, they are. But on the surface, they sound pretty fun. <laughs> So you're at home in Atwater with your dog writing I, sad songs? <laughs> do, you ever, I, do you ever stop on the treadmill to write down a, a lyric? Yeah, yeah. I, I got to hit pause at the workout. That's we're all running, but there's no end in sight. Where's the finish line? The, uh, yeah. The, <laughs> wow, it's really uh, shaping up. Yeah. To be a, a fine uh, portrait of you. <laughs> I don't. I haven't done it much lately, but uh, with the songwriting, yeah, I just you know I still do it as a hobby. I put the stuff out once in a while, but it's nothing. It's nothing that like I pursue. But I did it one time. I thought that's what I was going to do, and the reason I started doing comedy, yeah, was because I got tired of. I was always a fan of comedy, yeah, uh, but I got tired of having to cooperate with three or four other guys and get everybody on the same page. And I wanted the to, band exactly, uh-huh. and I wanted to express myself more easily, right. So I thought I can go up on stage without lugging drums everywhere. But all right, so you did you go to uh when you, so you had your hip you, you had your music guys in high school. You found your way into a indie rock band. Right. Yeah, or hardcore. It was hardcore music at the time. Hardcore? Yeah, like a lot of screamy. Oh yeah, like yeah. punk? Uh like post punk, post hardcore stuff. Okay. Like uh like bands like Quicksand and and uh-huh. uh, into another and uh-huh. So it's screamy and singing. It's it's a little bit of both. So you're screaming and singing. Screaming and singing. You know, isn't that just much a, like now? Yeah, that's the core <laughs> of what you are. So did your band? You, did you, were you popular? Or did you? No, no, we. we <laughs> no, we were. You know, we. Yeah, it was. Would you have four songs in a rehearsal space? We had we had we had ten songs. Yeah. We had enough to play like a half hour set, and we would go and do shows, and nobody would show up. And then sometimes we'd get on a decent show at like some kind of punk sh- punk house yeah. in Philly somewhere, and there'd be a bunch of bands, and you'd meet some girls and drink some beers and yeah. whatever. But uh, it was fun. But it was typical when you're at that age. Yeah, you know, you're like, we got to make it, man. It's the band. It's the band. And then all my band members quit. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'm the only idiot thinking this has a chance. So then I joined another band. And then I started to back away from that band and get a lot of shit from that those members. Yeah. So then I was that guy. And that's when I started to be like, you know what? 
fuck this, man. Like, I, I just want to be alone, and I don't know how to play guitar. Right. So I better figure out another way to get on stage by myself. Really? That was it? You, like, you had no real passion for the comedy, necessarily? I mean... I, I did have passion for it. Did you know comics? Had you seen live comedy? I was an avid fan of com- comedy. Yeah. Avid fan. And I had a huge passion for it. But my passion was for uh, the expression side of it. It was never... I never got off back then as a fan... I used to love laughing at it, and I right. enjoyed that. But I never got off at the idea of getting on stage and making people laugh. I got off on the idea of getting on stage and expressing yourself. It was Carlin that that made me want to do it. When I was 12 years old, I saw Carlin, and that's what planted the That's seat. funny, because that's another thing we have in common. Yeah, I never thought of myself as an entertainer. I thought, well, I'm going to get up there and uh, you know figure out who I am. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the. I remember when I first started. My dad said, "My dad pulled me aside and he goes, how's the comedy going?'" And I go, "It's good. It's good. It's you know, it's it's hard, but it's good." And he goes, "Are you getting something out of it therapeutically?" And I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "Good." And that was the whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so he knew. He was like, "You need some kind of yeah, yeah." Well, that's weird because if they, you know, then if we have that in common, there was some sort of um, some sort of like lack of sense of self in our uh well, well that you, was you... with me like like with me like i just i i had a hard time like i played some music and stuff but like i said i was the guy that was trying to be friends with the people you know i was the mm-hmm. guy that felt outside of everything like i get it i, I have a feeling like you know be, and i've tracked it to how i was brought up but i mean i think as i entered life and got older you know i just didn't have a, a cap on my personality right and I needed to sort of like, you know, own some space. Right, right. Somehow. Well, I've always had that problem yeah. since I was a kid. Yeah. It, it was an identity crisis. My manager said to me very recently, D- stop, because I have, I slip into it still. She said to me recently, she goes, don't think, don't try to think of the thing you need to do that's going to make everything okay. Think about the thing you just want to do. Because I'll still sometimes slip in and I go, well, what if we did this? And then that could lead to, you know? And yeah. she's like, don't don't think like that. Well, like, I do. Here's how I phrase it. And I say this a lot. I just got to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. My buddy Jerry's always like, yeah, maybe you don't have to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. I got to figure it out. I think that's a, a I think that's a, a common trait with guys like us is we think that there it's a puzzle to figure out, which goes back to. The, well, I mean, I'd like yeah. to think that I'm working on a puzzle, but really, I just think that I'm, you know, like I don't feel right, so right. I got to figure something out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like it's, I, I don't have the foresight to see the puzzle. <laughs> it's just like in a moment, I'm like, I got to fucking figure this shit out. <laughs> then, do you ever like? Does it ever? Are there moments where you where that works for you? That approach? I don't know, man. You, you know, it's like you know, a lot of things have worked out that I didn't think were going to work out. And, you know, there are some things that, uh, you know, I'm not as worried about as I used to be. Right. But, you know, I, I find a lot of it is just has to do with with kind of like, you know, if if you're if you're kind of trying to figure things out and, and always pushing and pushing and pushing. I, I don't know if that I take enough time to be grateful. I don't know if I take enough time to, you know, like I'm constantly moving through bits. Like when I perform, like I don't like to know exactly what I'm doing. Right. You know, I like to, you, you know, so there, I still am. I, I don't think I'm addicted to the adrenaline of that, but I like it takes a lot for me to get out of my head and into the present. And the things that I do innately 
to do that, which mm-hmm. is like improvise on stage or do what we're doing right now, mm-hmm. are very sus- you know sustaining to me because mm-hmm. they get me out of my head. Mm-hmm. But once you know, if I spend too much time in the head, you know, all, all bets are off, and I got to figure some shit out. I'll make yeah, I'll get way in my head, and I'll make decisions where it's like, what what were you thinking? You know what I mean? Like I'll be running. I'm trying to get this set ready to to hopefully do late a late night show. And I had to record it a bunch. Yeah. And I was recording it at a bunch of uh, shows last night, and they were all pretty small shows. So I had a good, I had good recordings of it, but they were small crowd recordings. Right. You could just hear that the jokes were working. Yeah. And I finally end up at a show at the Improv. It's packed. It's sold out. And I go, all right, this is the show where I'm really going to get it. You know what? I'm going to change the opener. Yeah. I'm going to change the first. And I go up, I do the and it doesn't work. And I'm just like fucking idiot yeah why because i got in my head i was like wait a minute that this is what i've been doing wrong on it's like you weren't doing anything wrong right did the rest of it work i bailed out of it (laughs) i bailed out of it you bailed out of the new set yeah because i was like i'll just send one of the other recordings that's it like i bailed out of it i told the audience i was trying to record a set i'm not doing that anymore uh, I don't feel like doing this, so like, let's just do jokes, other jokes. Yeah, see, why'd you see? Like, I've done that in my life, but what you know, like, what it, what, what was it set for? Uh, it, I'm trying to get onto Conan to promote this special that I have coming out. Right. Yeah. So, well, you know, um, um, so hopefully it works. But they needed to hear the set as a set, so I recorded it. But I was recording it, and I got a good recording of it. But it was in um, front video? of video. No, they just wanted an audio to hear the the flow of it. And I got a good recording in front of a small crowd, but then I thought I can get a recording in front of a big crowd, and then yeah. there's nothing to worry about. Again, the puzzle. Yeah. If I just do this, it'll be perfect. And you bailed after the first joke. Got, got the first joke, didn't hit, and I was like, well, I can't send them a set where the first joke doesn't hit. And it's hit. packed over there. And it's also a different joke than I've been talking to them about. Right. It's this joke they've never heard. Yeah. Because I got it in my stupid head fucking nuts those four and a half minute sets it's so hard man it's so i got it down to 5 30 that was as I, I don't know how to make it any shorter yeah i'm just like can you guys just cut a, just tell but me that, what to do please but that, but that well they, they can that's usually who you work with over there jp uh yeah you? but i've never done the show so i'm hoping to do it for the first time oh you got to do that show why not i hope so oh. i've never really done late night Really? I did Pete's show when I was working over there, Pete Holmes's show. And oh I yeah, did Carson Daly years ago. But I've never done like proper big credits. <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> I have other credits that are good. <laughs> I just don't have good late night credits. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta get a proper late night credit on. I don't need to. I just would like to. It's fun to do Conan. I think I, I've only done panel over there. I haven't done, I haven't done one of those. Four and a half minute jobs in in a few years, quite a few years. I tried to get into the panel situation as much as possible. See, I want to get. How many years did it take before you got to do a panel? Because I said last night to to somebody, I said I feel like I'm cut more from the the Jim Jeffries, Stanhope, Marin. You know, you, sure. I, Thanks I, for I, throwing I, me in. No, no, I'm just the only yeah, reason yeah, I yeah. the only reason I didn't is because I didn't want to I didn't want you to think I was comparing myself to any right, of right. you and it was particularly embarrassing because I'm sitting across from right you. I get it. but I have a great respect for you I appreciate that um, you sound like you do the uh, <laughs> what do you want me to say I don't do know. you <laughs> do you Joe thank you yeah. um, but like I I always related more to guys like you yeah. than the guys that write succinct yeah quick jokes whatever don't you envy them though. I do envy them. God but damn you, it. You guys all went right to panel. You guys never did like sets, really. I did sets. When did you do sets? 
I did four of those fucking sets on Letterman over two decades. Right. I did uh, early on with Conan. Conan's really where it started. You know, I did stand-up sets on Evening at the Improv, John Stewart's show. Um, I did stand-up sets on Caroline's Comedy. Like, I did a lot of those. Well, I did a lot of those things. Yeah. But I just haven't done proper... Well, when four I say- and a half minutes. Like, it's it's such a bad representation of me. And I, like, I done... There's a couple Letterman sets that I did. You know, I, they were very spaced out, but they were great. And they didn't fucking make any difference right. at all. Right. And it wasn't until, you know, I got one panel shot with him. And it was like a highlight of my life. Yeah, I saw that. It was great. Yeah, and it, you know, and it was just I with Conan. Like when he started in New York, I did the show probably the first or the second year in. I did two stand-up spots, and I was in town, and I, you know, and then I said to Frank Smiley, "I'm like, can we do a panel spot and maybe do a bit on the panel?" You know, mm-hmm. like I think one of my first times on panel, I did a shtick. Like we had a plan. I think it was the might have been the John Lennon thing. Like where where I I would you know we'd produce a bit. Where I'd we'd go like I we'd throw to something, mm-hmm. you know, and then I just became a panel guest because it was just easier for me because it also was situational in that I was in town and they knew I had I built a dynamic with him, so if they had a fallout or someone could make it, they'd be like, well, maybe Marin has got something because a lot of the times on the Conan's panels, those bits aren't even finished, right. but they were funny enough, right? You know, to have a conversation sure. with. Sure, and that's the best way to do it, I think. It is, but what's funny is, and this happened to me later, is like, even my manager is like, well, maybe I ought to remind people you're a comic. Because when you do a panel and people don't know you, they still don't know you. Like, you know, most of the time when someone's doing panel, they're, they're, people are like, oh, that's the guy from the thing. He's just talking. Sure, sure, sure. But if you're a comic, there's an argument to be made that you should establish yourself as that. I, uh, I I just, it's it's that four and a half minutes is so hard. It's so hard. It's, it's in straight stand-up, I mean, as you've well, already Well, let me said. ask you about that, though, because with me, with these joke things, like, I can write a joke, and sometimes they happen naturally, and I'm very aware when something I've written has, has a, you know, is just a, what you're talking about, right. guys who do jokes. Right. I mean, it's my joke, but it is a joke, and I can feel when they happen. Right. But, like, you know, once I do them a few times, I'm like, all right. I guess that one's done. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whereas this, as opposed to something that's part of a longer conversation or exploratory or has room in it. Well, that's what happens to me is, uh, for some reason, the only short jokes I ever write are horribly inappropriate for television ever. I don't mm. know why I can't think of any one-liner or short thing that isn't offensive in some way. So, yeah. so that never happens. And then what happens is when I try to do one of these, put one of these sets together, so JP and I went through sweeping sections of my special jp the booker over there yeah yeah we went through sweeping sections of my special and he was like okay maybe if you took this joke here and connected it to that joke over here and that's why he was like i gotta hear this to hear if it flows because we had to cherry pick so much well that's what you got to do when you long form and you do a short set yeah unless you want to unless you want to be ballsy and do one bit I'd rather do that. I've done that before. Yeah. I did that on the Gotham TV show. I went out and I did one story for eight minutes and it yeah. killed. Yeah. And everybody told me, don't do it. If you get stuck in it and they don't like it, you're fucked. And I was like, I- I'm just doing it. And I did it and it fucking killed. And it was one of the best TV sets I've ever had in my life. I did that on John Oliver. It was the first time I committed to a t- like 11 minute bit. Right. And it was great, but I knew there were jokes in it. That's when you start to identify what you do. Is that like, you know, if you're a long form guy, and this was, I realized this recently, that you have jokes within it. Sure. That's what keeps it going. Yeah. And they're solid. 
You know, yeah. and if you start to look at it as like, well, that piece, should get, that joke needs a little work or what? I need something there or whatever. Absolutely. Then there's no reason not to have confidence in it if you got your beats right. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think long form, it's funny because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think guys like us uh, would scoff at, at the joke book, comedy uh, teaching book, whatever, textbook uh, approach to comedy where they say, well, there should be a laugh every 30 seconds. You know, that's the kind of thing that would make a guy like you or me go, oh, fuck you. Don't well, fuck it this. used to. It used to. But like lately, I've sort of like, well, why, why can't I do that? Well, that's what I was going to get at is when you start to work in in long form and really start to dissect it, you are doing that. Right. Because then you go, well, I can't just go on a tirade about murder for 10 minutes. There right. has to be laughs every minute. Really? Not just a murder tirade? <laughs> yeah. Believe it or not, they don't want to hear that. Yeah, People yeah. don't want to hear that. You want to punch it up a little. Yeah, you want to punch up yeah. your murder yeah. your murder, your, your murder, murder bit. bit. <laughs> His famous murder bit. Well, I think that like I don't I don't know that I had a lot of confidence as a joke writer because I didn't write like that. Like guys who write jokes, like a tell. You know, he's like you know, he's like working on a never ending, almost like physics equation of jokes. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when he's sitting there doing nothing, he's writing jokes. Mm -hmm. He just writes jokes. That's how he that's what he does. Yeah. And they're great. Yeah. There's no one better than him at writing jokes. Right. But I don't sit there and do that. Like I never had the discipline to be like, now I'm gonna write my jokes. I've never written down a joke in my life. I write lists of things, but but the thing is is I still envy the joke. But when you're a joke guy, if you're just doing jokes, right. right, that aren't long form jokes, you've got to lock into that thing and that's got to be satisfying to you. Right. Like, you know, like to, to know that like I created this little laugh package. Right. I will deliver it. That laugh package worked like one after another. You don't have to have a lot of personal investment other than delivering the joke. Right. That's got to be satisfying to you. Some guys are like, but then, then I had a revelation in the last couple of years. With Shanling, because Shanling reveals a lot about himself in his little jokes, uh -huh. and his timing is unlike anything else, and there's a vulnerability to it, and that sort of blew my mind recently, and I, there's a couple of jokes I'm doing now where I think about Shanling and think about, you know, the joke is, it, it is enough. It's, it's, it's as much as any piece of poetry can yeah. be. It can't, it, yeah, and uh, it's funny because the last hour, this last hour was all long form. It was like four subjects. Yeah. Uh, that now I'm finding myself writing much shorter things yeah. that have the point quickly, but it doesn't have to be this big global, whatever, you know, politicized, yeah. applying to, you know, whatever, tirade. But it's uh, okay to just be entertaining. Yeah, and you could still have yourself in that, you know what I mean? Well, you're probably going to be more yourself in that. That's a, the, the When I finally just sort of let go of uh, feeling like I had to make a point and just, like, talk about, you know my thoughts about things non-aggressively i'm funnier because right. then you can be naturally funny right you yeah. know what i mean yeah yeah well you know you've been in that position i'm sure where you'll say something very honestly on stage and it gets a laugh and you're like oh shit i didn't even i realize. do that all the time <laughs> and then you try to repeat it and it never works again <laughs> what, what how do i get that moment back what was it yeah <laughs> what the hell happened there? it's the hardest thing now do you find uh Aside from the four and a half minute sets being tough, I find also sometimes even the 12 minute sets are a little tough. Like if now you're in a different position than I am because you've made quite a name for yourself. Yeah, I barely want to do anything anymore. <laughs> but like I find sometimes when I'm going on like at the improv or wherever and you only have 10 minutes, I'm like, I cannot waste seven minutes 
on this bit about whatever. I gotta, I gotta, you know, what if they don't like it? Then I'm gonna be digging myself out of my own hole for seven minutes. Well, I think that eventually you have to get to a point where you don't give a fuck about the 12 minutes. And the thing is that, that the only thing that changed that for me was making the comedy store my home club. I don't bother with the improv. I don't bother. Like, I don't give a fuck if anybody in the business sees me and decides that I'm anything. Right. I don't care anymore. Right. So when did I, that ha- when did that happen though? Um, I guess after you you know I started to do uh, when I, once I built my audience, right. whatever they are. Well, there you go. And, and I'm yeah. going to these clubs really to use them to work out. I want to work out, so sure. I'm gonna you know you might it might not work. Sure. Like sure. at some point you got to look at those sets. Sure. As you know, just you know, either to try new jokes or to stay in shape, but like to. You know, to do it you know, only for the audience on a 12-minute set on a showcase night, nah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, and I think that's the beauty of having, because I still am in the zone where I'm like, I need, I still need this place. Like, I can't, I can't totally go, well, but fuck the, what, it. But what I'm saying you know what I mean? is that eventually, hopefully, you find a comfort in the place to where, you know, you, it's not, like, you know, I guess they could tell me I can't work there anymore. You know, maybe they'd be doing me a favor, but I usually... When you're comfortable in a place and you're comfortable in yourself as a funny person, you know, you can be funny if you don't do nothing. This is my identity problem again. I am comfortable in the place. I've gone off stage there and been beating myself up and the booker's like, I love that. It was great. What do you do? Yeah, the they're lying. You know? <laughs> they saw how upset you were and they're just trying to make you feel better. Um, but like they've been so that's my home in, in as far as I'm concerned in LA, that's my home. Like the improv is where I perform the most and, and they're really great to me. And I have no reason whatsoever to ever think they wouldn't continue to support me. But I still, every time I walk off stage, go, is that going to be the... Le-? It's terrible. It's a self-esteem thing. Well, it, it, but you're still putting it on other people. Like, you, you're saying, like, you know, that's the one that's going to get me less spots. Right. W- what I do is, like, look, I know when something doesn't land. I yeah. know when I had to struggle. And I know when it's me and when it isn't. Right. And when it when it is me... um. Like, I, I just have to reckon with that. But I had to literally train myself to say, like, dude, it's one set. So what? You yeah. know, sleep it off. Right. As opposed to, like, spend weeks right. wondering what the fuck happened. Right. Or beating the shit out of myself. Yeah, yeah. Looking for a reason to beat the shit out of myself. Yeah, yeah. I find other reasons now. I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Outside like, I, of keep, I keep that in my personal life. <laughs> I, I've gotten much better at not, you know, throwing like a barrage of, you know, whatever at myself afterwards. And I've gotten a lot better at going stop it. It's one set. Uh, I, I, it's 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 an evolutionary thing, you know. But yeah, it is. How long have you been doing it? Fifteen years. Yeah. So not terribly long, but not terribly short. That's like, long, Joe. You know, I. What do you? What do you? That's that's you're you're uh, you're in. Uh, yeah. You're, you're veteran. It's not like. Well, what's longer than that? I don't know. I saw I saw Louis at a festival in Scotland, and he was like, he goes, "How long have you been?" Because I was like, I was like thinking about something. I was like, "Should I do this or this, or this? with my career?" And he yeah. goes, "I was thinking about moving back to New York." And I was like, "I don't know, maybe, maybe." And he was like, "How long have you been doing it?" And I go, 15 years." And he goes, "It's nothing. You're not. It's your baby. Twenty years. That's the." And that's like the Seinfeld thing where he's like, you've only been doing it. You're only as old. That's know, crazy. Whatever that thing is. You're an infant until you, you know, your I comedy guess. age is your I whatever. Guess. I mean, you know, I guess. I mean, you know, maybe career wise, but I mean, 15 years doing something is not nothing. No, it's not. And I don't think he meant 
He didn't say condescendingly like you're nothing. He no, just I know said, what you like, mean. He's trying to make you feel better, but but yeah, I mean the, the thing is, you just got to keep you know, keep you. Yeah, ugh, fuck it. <laughs> what did you? What just happened? And it's just like you know. <laughs> Like you know, you've been you've been you know hammering at it for fifteen years. Are you a baby? Right, or, or, right. You know what I mean? It's like there are guys who've been doing it fifteen years who were doing great. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, like there are guys I just have been doing it ten years that are doing great. Yeah, and it's just like I I think you get better. Yes. You know what I mean? But like, let's figure out why the fuck are we so hard on ourselves? I don't know. Uh, I I I think that every I don't know that this is the answer, but my explanation for myself has always been that when you do this type of job, when you do this type of job, whether it's you're self-employed, okay. Now look, yeah. this, this when I say this type of job, I mean it could be that you have a contracting landscape business, business, business okay. or whatever. But when you say I'm putting it all on me, I'm betting on myself, nothing on anybody else, and my hustle is what's going to put a roof over my head yeah. and feed a family one day, uh, you start out uh, organically and uh, with a slave mentality. The audacity that you would ever scoff at a job yeah. or not take a job or not swallow wretched, wretched abuse, Yeah, how dare you? That's It's a slave mentality, really. And I think uh, as you progress through the business, you get better and better at shaking that off and saying, no, I've earned a certain place now for myself, and yeah. I am allowed to call certain shots and have certain uh, um, uh, st uh, stipulations for right. myself. But it's it's hard, and it's a long journey. And as you know, I think anyone... We all know that... Well, we don't all know this, but I, I know this, and I know you know this... Any one significant event is not going to make or break your career. We're we're aware of that, but that doesn't mean that any one unless it's on Twitter. Yes, exactly. Uh, but that doesn't mean that any one significant event can't make you feel for a couple days like you're back to square one. Well, but you know? the weird thing is, is for me, like you know, like I, you know, I didn't make it as a comic first. What do you mean? Well, sure, you did. Yeah, I was always around and doing TV and stuff, but I didn't build a draw. So like, you know, by the time I started this thing, I'm like, you know, I was looking at a, you know, a life of, you know, headlining B rooms and, you know, maybe, you know, like it wasn't good, you know, and it wasn't until people got to know me in a bigger way that they would come out, you know, because of the podcast and now the TV show or whatever, but it wasn't just my comedy, you know, it left to sure. my own devices, you know, I was not uh, selling tickets. Sure, sure. I think that's, I think a lot of that is just the climate that we're living in right now. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's just, it's a different world. It's, it's a different world. And I think but you've done some writing. I have done some writing and I do How's podcasts. That? And, is that, you have a podcast? Yeah, I have two. Really? Yeah, I have two. One's about to launch with Kurt Braun and Larry and myself called Emotional Hangs on Feral, which is about two grown men uh, exploring the vulnerability of an adult friendship, uh, and like letting the guard down and not doing macho stuff. And, huh. and you know, is he, have, is he married? He's married now, yeah. Does he have a kid now? About to. Oh, yeah? His wife's, yeah. I think they're doing like March or something. Well, that ought to add a little something to the dynamic. That has, absolutely, yeah. It spiced things up a bit. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, in a good way. Uh, a lot of you going like, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
No, that's exactly what we're talking about. Like I've said to him on the podcast, I'm a little jealous of your kid because you're like you're going to have this kid and you're and I'm not going to get to hang out with you as much, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, but I also get it and I'm happy for you. But like I'd be lying if I didn't say to you, it's weird. You're you know, yeah. Something takes your friend away from you. you yeah, know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, and then I have a horror movie podcast called We'll See You in Hell that's already out now. It's yeah. like a Siskel and Ebert, except about horror Well, movies. how was the writing experience for you? Because that was something I just, I would never, even, I never even prepared myself at all to write for other people or hang out with other people in that way. <laughs> yeah, until I did my own show, I found it satisfying. It, it, it's, it's, it's all these things were incremental steps in the, in the greater goal. Uh, so it was good for a while. I'm glad I did it. I got a lot of experience out of it for about two, two and a half years. Writing for Pete? I wrote for Pete's show for both seasons. Uh, I wrote for Wet Hot American Summer, the Netflix series, not the movie. Oh, yeah? I wrote for Jeff and Some Aliens, which just premiered on Comedy Central. I, I wrote for Moshe Kasher's pilot, which isn't it was picked up, but the show's not out yet. Um, and So I've written for things. But Moshe's you thing, act, you were on Breaking Bad, right? or Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul, yeah. 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 So, you coming back on that one? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's all very. Secretive. Did you go to New Mexico to shoot? We did. Yeah, yeah. That's where I, did. I grew up. Where'd you eat? Oh, you did over in Albuquerque. I had a, this place called Chipotle. It was great. Oh, good for you. I really actually digging into the local cuisine. Well, let me tell you something. Every single time I've gone, I've said to somebody, hotel, transport driver, guy at the record store. Yeah. Where can I get some Mexican food? Every time they go, there's a place called Chipotle's right up there. Nobody has once ever said you gotta go to this place. Really? I don't know Who the why. Fuck were you talking to? Were they were they not from there? I was talking to the person was wearing a Chipotle T-shirt. Oh, uh, see. maybe they were on break. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> the uh, no, I don't know. So, but. But I, uh, you know, so you're spreading it out. You got a talent. You're you're applying it in other places. You're earning some money doing that. Yeah, I do, I directed my special, which was pretty cool. That Comedy the new Central one. let me do that. This uh, one coming out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it called? You let me down. Hmm. There you go. Yeah, that's a spot on title. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever find that that perhaps, and this is just something I learned with myself, that if you have these unresolved emotional problems. And you you feel righteous about them, and your sense is that everybody must feel these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that not everybody necessarily does. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> and also they 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 not you're not necessarily entertaining them. They might feel a little bad for you. That does happen. Well, when I bailed out of my my TV set last night, the audio and I went, guys, I'm not doing this. This isn't working, right? And they they all went, oh no, 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 come on, Joe. That's <laughs> like, no, it's fine, everybody. Just yeah, let yeah. me just please. I'm just yeah. we'll we'll have fun. Let me just you know. So in your mind, given that you're you know you obviously seem to be having a bit of a career as a writer and doing these other things, uh. Y- can can you surrender to that, or is it still like nah? Stand up's the thing. Uh, I, I, I no, I have learned. I, I've been learning that lesson, and it's been affecting the way I approach stand up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which so, lesson? The lesson you're saying about like maybe these problem, maybe every one of your problems oh. isn't relatable, and sometimes it's a long journey up that hill. But like, I, I, I have been open to that. There was a time where I wasn't at all because I was young and naive and stupid. Uh, and arrogant, quite frankly. But the older you get, you know, you go, you know, you don't have to open with depression. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not the thing. Yeah. One of the jokes I pitched to Conan. Yeah. And I was opening with this at an, in Edinburgh. 
and then I moved it to the middle, and then it started working when I moved it to the middle of the act. Yeah. But I pitched this to Conan, thinking this is an appropriate joke for late night TV. I go, uh, I go. I'm, I'm 39 years old. The greatest lesson, the greatest realization I've had in 39 years is that it's really stupid when people go, "Oh man, if I only knew then what I know now." Right. If I knew then what I know now, I would have fucking killed myself. This hasn't been worth the effort at all. <laughs> and that one, uh, how's, that, how's that do? <laughs> JP was like, "You, this is too, what are you doing? This is right. too. <laughs> 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 but it does well in my act. Right, it, right. But, but you got to bury it. He's like, you can't walk out and tell the audience you're going to kill yourself. Right. <laughs> but then in my end, I'm like, no, but I'm joking. It's funny. Yeah. And then it's like. And then you learn the lesson. Maybe everybody doesn't think that's funny to just throw around, I'm going to kill myself. And maybe we're doing it to to get some weird fucking... We're defying them to emotionally engage with us. I mean, because, like, maybe that's the problem. Like, I know there's a problem I have. Is that, like, you know, in terms of relationships, that, like, I'm not great at at being as loving as I might want to be. And a lot of times I don't trust when people like me. Right. Or love me. Sure. So then I push them. Like, you know, sort of, do you love me now? Still? You still love me? Like, you know, I think that, you know, that may be a funny joke, but it also garners a certain amount of sympathy and that maybe this guy could use a little help. Maybe he needs to be taken care of somehow. Maybe we're looking to the audience as opposed to looking for love. We're, like a lot of guys, they just love to perform for people. Yes. Yeah. No. And, yeah. But we're sort of like, you know, I, I dare you to love me. <laughs> the uh, Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I think I think a lot of comics go on stage like, thank you for letting me perform for you. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think there are guys uh, like us that go up there and, and, and it's more just like, can you just fucking listen for a second? Just God damn it. I'm in trouble. <laughs> Give me a minute. Just yeah. hold on. I'm trying to get some shit together. <laughs> I need you to ride this out. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't imagine. I just got anxiety, not a ton, but I got a little bit of an anxiety flutter or whatever you want to call it. When you just said the thing about, do you still love me to the, to the girl? Yeah. Because I just, that scares the shit out of me in a relationship. What? That I get, that I, that I would not be able to get more than six or eight months or a year in whatever without constantly being like, am I going to fuck this up? Does she still right. love me? Did she right. cheat on me? Is she going to, you know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, like, right. And that, and then if you keep talking about that, it, uh, it does fuck it up. How long have you been in this one you're in now? Uh, three and a half years. Oh, Jesus. All right. That's, that's very substantial. I know. Well, why do you say it like that? Because like it, it because I'm like, I, I feel like a lot of times I'm, I'm spinning my wheels, you know, like I, I still am not getting to that level where, you know, I'm open and everything's great. And you know what I mean? So that's disappointment in yourself when you go, I know. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's like, and, and I'm getting to an age where. I don't know if I can fix it or if I want to fix it because the effort to, you know, to fix it becomes this whole other thing. Sure. Like, I guess it's surrendering to, to cynicism. Look, you know, I will say this, Mark, and this is not me trying to give you some sort of a pass and I might be really wrong. Yeah. But I might be right. Yeah. I think sometimes all it comes down to is two people being compatible. You know, yeah. it's like if you were if you witnessed a relationship where the couple literally fist fought one another. Yeah. And then you said, that's not healthy. And you went over to them and you were like, hey, guys. And they were like, get the fuck away. We, this is what we fucking do. You'd right. be like, 
Hey, guys, I guess if that makes you happy, like, fist fight each other. I don't know. If that's what's working for you and you'll grow to be 95 years old together, then, hey, God bless. I don't know. I guess. But but then there's the issue of, like, you know, what if they could get past those obstacles that would make that seem like love to them uh, to where they wouldn't keep attracting, you know, people that would do that with them. And they could experience something different. But I'm saying, what if they didn't need to? No one needs to. But I, no, well, you don't. Nobody needs to. Right. But I'm saying sometimes, some that that I was just talking yesterday. I know what you're saying. Life is short. Maybe this is what you got. Well, it's like it's like the thing in Annie Hall where he walks up to the couple and he goes, "I don't understand. How do you do it? How yeah, are you yeah. a happy couple? We're we're both superficial. We don't ask a lot of questions. Right. Hey, if that works for you, right." Great. If Kanye and Kim Kardashian works for them, great. Right. Enjoy yourselves. You know, I think we have a habit as people to always, and I'm not saying there's no such thing as bad behavior or toxic behavior or abusive behavior. That's not what I mean. Yeah. Uh, But I do think as people, we always think it's almost an ego thing. We've got to like get to this deeper thing. To, 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 so that so it's more of a, an, an exploration. And it's like, sometimes it's just not that, man. Sometimes it's just, hey, my wife and I don't talk, but we love each other. And she's fine with that, and I'm fine with that. That's okay. Uh-huh. Our best friends, they talk all the time. Good for them. Yeah. We don't do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like, I guess it's okay if you're, not, if you're not sitting there every day going like, why don't I talk? Well, but here's the thing. You're saying that, but it, uh, my point is, is if you're not talking and that's sort of your natural thing and your lady isn't going, why aren't you fucking talking? Yeah. Then there's no problem. If she's like, Mark, I don't care. I love you. You don't talk. I don't yeah, care. Yeah, but sometimes like the dynamic that you find yourself in for years is them going, why aren't you talking? Well, then that's, that's, that's where- That's not the dynamic I have, but that's what I'm saying. That's when it's a pro- That's when it's a problem and that's when it's either I have to figure out how to change this or this person isn't right for me. Yeah. Then you find the person that goes, I don't care that you don't talk. Never talk to me. I love you. You know what I mean? And they mean it. And you go, oh, You'll sure. find something wrong with that. Huh? You'll find something wrong with that. <laughs> I'll find something wrong with everything. Yeah. I have a problem with what I'm saying right now. So are I can't. You, be- <laughs> are you dating anyone? Uh, probably not after this podcast. <laughs> uh, no, 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 nobody's serious. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm very actively trying to have less, flingy situations in my life and 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 i really do want to substantially or date somebody and have a substantial thing so it's not to say that i'm above anything lesser than that but i'm trying to do that i would i'd like to find somebody i can really spend some time with okay well um i i i don't have time (laughs) (laughs) or i would i would try but i just thank you yeah Yeah. but uh so when's the special premiere February 3rd on Comedy Central at midnight. Second play is February 5th, 1 a.m. is the replay, and then those are both uncensored. And then the record and, um, you know, the, the you, where you can download the special, yeah. February 7th. It'll start streaming, I think, on the 3rd. Uh, well, okay, then, all right. You know what I mean. A lot of numbers. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Just You'll be all right. Thank you for having me. Nice seeing this you. This was really... Really lovely. Thank you, buddy. I, I mean it. I'm glad we did it. I'm really glad we did it. I'd like to just start coming over here and just kind of, you know. All right. All right. Just, well, you know, text me first. I'll just, you know. No, just, some days you open the garage door, I'm in here. No, don't find me. I'm <laughs> just going to sit over here. And I have coffee. Yeah, Mark, yeah, I, got yeah. I, I know. <laughs> I, I believe you. <laughs> I promise I won't do that. All right, buddy. Uh, thanks, Mark. Uh, 
All right. That's it. That's me and Joe. I'll be talking in real time-ish, or at least the night before next week when I'm back. I hope everyone's hanging in. I think I will. I'll play a little guitar. Uh, Just some hard rock. Probably redundant, but I'll do it. Boomer Lynn.